Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is, it is good to gather with you to praise our, our wise God. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Kelton. I, I also have the privilege of serving here as, as one of the pastors of Stafford Baptist Church. We continue uh, our sermon series in Matthew this morning, in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 53, Rejecting Jesus. If you haven't been here for all of it, you can find all of our our old sermons on our our website or wherever you find podcasts by by looking for Stafford Baptist Church. Today we begin the the third major section of the book of Matthew. But before we do, let me take a moment to to give you a bit of a rundown of our, our our sermon series to come. We'll spend... Most of April and May here in the book of Matthew, but we're going to end May beginning a sermon series in the book of Colossians. As, as normal, we are going to pause our sermon series for the summer. So for June and July, you can expect to hear sermons in the book of Psalms, but we'll return to working through Matthew and Colossians in the fall. You can always find the next few weeks of sermons on, on page 14 of your your bulletin, our, our sermon schedule. But today, the six verses at the end of Matthew 13, rejecting Jesus. I wonder, does your hometown claim any celebrities? Maybe even who you got to go to school with? It's not much, but one of my classmates from high school who played on our football team went on to play in the NFL as a defensive lineman. He played for, for five teams during his, his 10-year career, uh, and most of that was with our, our local team here, the, the Washington Redskins, or commanders now. Chris Baker, if you follow those kinds of things. Normally, I have, have very little interest in football. I'm, I'm sorry. But because we were in the same graduating class, I, I actually followed his interest, I, or followed his career. I checked in from time to time to see how he was doing. There's, there's something about being able to, being able to say, I, I knew him before he was rich and famous. I knew what he was like as a teen. Or maybe for you, it's the opposite. Someone from your hometown that you're not so keen to be associated with. Like, I wonder where Lee Harvey Oswald is from. What do you think Jesus' hometown thought about him? He's not your typical personality. The Gospel of Matthew, as we've studied it, has already reported that his fame is spreading abroad, near and wide, and that before Twitter. Rising from obscurity, this untrained rabbi is preaching the kingdom of heaven, calling on people to repent and believe his message. Everywhere he's gone, he's amassed crowds, teaching a radical message of God's righteousness. And his message has been accompanied by miraculous working, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, even raising the dead. He has just concluded in Matthew, teaching a number of parables about this kingdom of heaven, of its small beginning, but its unstoppable expansion. His cryptic stories were meant to expose understanding in some, but, but expose uncertainty in others. 
Well, as I mentioned, in our passage today, we are beginning the next leg of Matthew's account of Jesus, with him now returning to his hometown, Nazareth, where everybody knew him and his family. What kind of reception will Jesus have? Will, will he be the hometown hero? But more importantly, what reception will he receive here today? How will you respond to Jesus Christ? By honoring him or in unbelief? Let's read Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because... Of their unbelief. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, as we read your word and come to it, we make the words of our song our prayer this morning that you would prepare our hearts, O God. That you would this morning help us to receive by breaking up the hard and stony ground. Lord, we cry out to you, help our unbelief. That you would plant your word deep in us. That you would cause it to bear fruit. So Lord, we pray, open up our ears to hear. Lead us in your truth to show us Christ. That we would see him in his wisdom and his mighty works. And by your grace, not take offense at him, but believe in him who is from you. We pray this all in his precious name. Amen. Well, our our big idea this morning, our one-sentence summary of the whole passage is this. Honor Christ by believing that he and his teaching come to us from God. Honor Christ by believing that he and his teaching come to us from God. Jesus, back in his hometown, teaching in their synagogue... Well, familiarity becomes a stumbling block. They thought that they they knew where Jesus was from. Being from the the same hometown, knowing him from his youth, they thought he was just like them. And they ended up rejecting him because of it. And so the call for us this morning is to not follow them, but to, to honor Christ by believing that he and his teaching come to us From God. We're going to see this in three points this morning. First, be be amazed by Jesus' wisdom in the first two verses. Second, consider the source of Jesus' authority, that in verses 55 and 56. And finally, give honor to the prophet in 57 and 58. Be amazed by Jesus' wisdom, consider the source of Jesus' authority, and finally, give honor to the prophet. 
Our first point, brothers and sisters, be amazed by Jesus' wisdom. Since it's thankfully so short, let's read those two verses again, 53 and 54. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Well, Jesus has finished the parables of chapter 13 and he's, he's moving on. You can glance up to the rest of chapter 13. It contains eight parables of the kingdom. He taught these in, in public and in private in the, the lakeside town of Capernaum. But this little phrase here in verse 53, when Jesus had finished, it shows up only in exactly five times in the book of Matthew, and, and all of them single signal a major transition in the text. It's how Matthew arranges his book. So here he's leaving Capernaum, which has become his, his base of operations back in Matthew 4.13, and he, he's going back to his childhood home in Nazareth. You might remember Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but spent his infancy in in exile in Egypt, when his family returned, they came to Galilee and settled in their hometown of Nazareth. And what does he do when he gets to his hometown? Well, it says in verse 54, he taught them in their synagogue. But the narratives we have in the Bible are obviously compressed, right? They don't record everything that Jesus did and taught. In fact, the Gospel of John is so bold to say at the end of his account that if everything Jesus had, been, had done was written down, that the whole world itself could not contain the books that were written. John 21, 25. What an overwhelming thought. From maybe his three years of ministry, a whole world of accounts. And here we just have a brief summary all of those accounts would be accounts of his love. Jesus did not go home to get his mom to do his laundry and to slack off after a time of intense work. No, he went to serve, to teach in love. It's why he came, to seek and save the lost in love. As the, the old Baptist preacher and senator, William Plummer, put it, love shines in his eternal purpose. It irradiates every path of his life. When crowds hemmed him in, some to perplex, some to deride, and some to murder, did he ever decline to teach the inquiring? Now we see here in these first verses, Jesus had a heart of compassion moved to teach and to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom because of his, his love. So church, see here at the start in Christ's teaching in their synagogue the labors of his love toward a dying and lost world. And, and Christ still does this through his, his word in the Bible and through his teaching of it in the church. He still feeds and guides, still offers his love through the teaching of his word. So here at the start, brothers and sisters, this morning, we gather not just to receive information, 
or even, as good as it is, inspiration for the week to come, but the love of Christ. The, the truth you hear this morning about Christ and, and from Christ is His care and love for you. So here at the start, brothers and sisters, receive it. His teaching is amazing. Look at what it says about their response as they hear his teaching. In verse 54, they were astonished. They were surprised. They were amazed. They, they marveled at his teaching. What they heard wasn't what they were expecting. It's, it's not your normal synagogue sermon, what they've gotten every other week. And it seems from the text to be a collective response. The whole synagogue as one agreed in their assessment of Jesus. I wonder, what do you, what do you normally talk about in the pews after service? I'm always so encouraged to see how many people linger, greeting people they don't know, catching up with those that they do. But here, in this synagogue, every conversation in the pew afterwards is about this man. Matthew here records in verse 54 some words that that typify what they were saying together. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? They know in particular his, his wisdom and his mighty works. I don't think this means that he did any miracles there at the synagogue, but but rather they've heard reports of all of what Jesus had been doing. And and maybe based on what he teaches, his claim to have been doing those works. These mighty works are, are what Matthew has been recording in his gospel. His healing of leprosy, of paralysis, of fever, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind. His command over all other powers, over the winds and the waves, over every demon. Just as an aside, maybe, maybe you've heard of them, but there are a number of, of fake gospel accounts of Jesus' life that are, are not part of the Bible. One of them, the infancy gospel of Thomas, records, for example, Jesus' friend Zeno falling from the upper story of a house and dying, but Jesus raising him from the dead. Or get this, it records him helping his dad, a carpenter, by stretching a wood beam that was too short to make a bed. Well, these accounts have been completely discredited. They were written long after Jesus' life by people who did not know him. They're fabricated stories. But I want to point out what this text says. The people who knew Jesus were surprised by his mighty works. What might that mean about his childhood? Well, that Jesus didn't grow up doing miracles. This was a part of his mission after he was revealed to Israel. Well, what do the inspired and true accounts of his youth tell us? Tell us? Well, in Luke 2.40, it says, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Or later, 2.52, 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Even from his childhood, Luke tells us Jesus was marked by wisdom. And even as wise as he was in his youth, still the wisdom displayed to this crowd amazes them. Where did he get this wisdom, they ask? You know, Matthew doesn't record for us exactly what Jesus taught. We have reason to believe that this is the same account we have in in Luke 4 of him in Nazareth reading from Isaiah. But that's not the point here. Matthew's point is not about what he taught, but how he says it. With wisdom. Remember, friends, Jesus had, had no formal training. There would be no reason to expect him to be able to teach as he did. But, but despite that, his teaching displays the truest wisdom. He can interpret and explain God's word, not just as an expert, but, but as its author. He knows the ways of God as, as one with him. He, in his teaching, can put together all of the Bible's different parts with perfect clarity and insight. And we've seen as he teaches, he knows the hearts and thoughts of those he teaches even better than they themselves do. He understands why they do the things they do. He is never confounded by their questions. He eludes their traps with ease. And his words are words of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, see and be astonished. Christ is the very wisdom of God. Colossians 2, 3 says of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the ultimate storehouse of divine wisdom. So we pray this morning, show us Christ. Church, see and be amazed at the storehouse of wisdom in Christ our Savior. But, but more than that, don't just see it and be amazed. Make use of it. Think of it. When, when you lack wisdom, you go to someone who knows. If your car breaks down and you don't know why, you go to a mechanic. If you have a, a math problem you can't solve, you go to your math whiz son. Friends, the wisdom of Christ is available to you in all your needs. James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given him. God is in the business of making wise the simple. He is able to make you wise not only for salvation, but but for all godliness, making the best use of the time to understand the will of the Lord. So all that you lack in wisdom, he has and he gives freely. And the Bible calls us to seek this wisdom all the days of our lives. Romans 12, 16 says, Never be wise in your own sight. 
Never be wise in your own sight. No, it doesn't say never be wise. It says never be wise in your own sight. Always understand yourself, Christian, in need of wisdom and always make use of the wisdom of God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Be amazed by Jesus' wisdom, not your own, and come to him daily for more. Sadly, though, the wisdom and mighty works of Jesus proved to be a stumbling block for the people of his hometown. Our second point this morning, consider the source of Jesus' authority. Consider the source of Jesus' authority in verses 55 and 56. You can recognize the wisdom and mighty works of Jesus and still take offense at him. Reread these two verses with me. They wonder, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Note the repeated question at the end. Where? Where did they get, where did this man get all these things? It's the same question they asked back in 54. Where? Their question, most fundamentally, is where did Jesus get his, his wisdom and power to do mighty works? And when they ask where, they're not asking about geographical location, where did he go to school or something. They're asking about the source, from whom? The source of his authority. They ask, isn't this the carpenter's son? Consider his occupation, right? He's no son of a prophet, nor even a rabbi. And his mom, too, we know her, Mary. Nothing remarkable about her. We know his brothers and sisters, too. They're, they're all normal townsfolk here, even with us. So if his, if his whole family, father and mother, brothers and sisters, are all just like us, how did their firstborn, Jesus, end up like this? They're wondering about the source of his wisdom and mighty works. And it certainly isn't his biological family. Where their questions are crying out for an answer. Where is it that this son of Joseph and Mary got such wisdom and mighty works? Where? Well, the source of his authority is God. His wisdom and power come from God because he is sent from God and because he is God. His wisdom and power come from God because he is sent from God and he is God. Now Jesus Christ is not properly the son of Joseph. Yes, of course, Joseph is his legal father. He, he raises him, takes care of him, and that's important because this legal relationship puts Jesus in the line of David of the king. But Jesus was conceived in Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where did he get these things? From God himself. The, the wisdom and mighty works that he displays are not the works of a mere man, but the God-man. Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. He is one person with Two natures, human and divine. So when the, the Son of God, the, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, 
He did not lose or give up any of his divine nature. That would mean he would be no longer God, but but something else. No, the man who sat and taught them this Sabbath was not only a man, but God himself. The fullness of God, too. Colossians 1.19 says of Jesus, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls him the image of God. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God with all the fullness of his deity, his exact nature. What do you make of the accounts of Jesus' life? Especially around Easter, friends, you might see articles or or stories about Jesus' identity. Who is he exactly? Has history got it all wrong Was he just a great moral teacher thrust into a deity that doesn't properly belong to him? Well, the answer is easy. As C.S. Lewis put it so memorably, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. There are no other options. His wisdom and mighty works give evidence that he is from God and that he is God. If you're here this morning and and you're not a Christian, thank you for being with us. Maybe you've heard this all before and and you're still not convinced. You want to remain neutral even as you respect Jesus as as a man, as as a teacher. Well, allow me to to press on you for, for just a minute. You must not continue putting it off. You must make your choice. Of course, you, you can keep putting it off, but don't be deceived. By putting it off, you have made your choice. Neutrality is not possible. Either you believe him to be lying or crazy, or you must submit to him and worship him as Lord. If that's you, I would encourage you to to talk to someone you've gotten to to know here. They would love to help you consider Jesus' claims and what they, they mean for you. Or if you haven't gotten to know anyone... Come talk to one of the pastors. We would love to help solve that that problem for you. And and Christians, too, especially remember this in the week that we celebrate. When we, what we commemorate this week, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem with the Hosannas, but then his rejection by those crowds, his, his arrest, his unjust trial, his crucifixion, and his death, Keep in mind who Jesus is. We confess the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, 
God of law, God of light of light, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us humans and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. You know, it's, it's not remarkable that a man would undergo crucifixion, as tragic as it would be. It is remarkable that this is how God in the flesh was appointed to die. The God who deserves all worship and praise, the God who put all the breath in Judas' lungs, who sustains Pilate by the word of his power, the one who designed and made the trees that shaped the cross. This is the man who we remember this week. Receive and believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent from heaven to teach us and to rescue us from our sins. Let's look at the last two verses of our passage. Our third point, give honor to the prophet. After the crowds are amazed in verse 54, and their questions in verses 55 and 56, Matthew tells us what they conclude in verse 57. Look again at the first verse of 57. Or sorry, the first sentence of verse 57. And they took offense at him. And they took offense at him. After considering for themselves the source of his authority, they take offense. They can't take him seriously. Look, Jesus, they think. We, we know you. You're not fooling us. We know where you're from. We know your family. This isn't it. At least so they say. He quotes to them a proverbial statement, something that's been universally true. There in verse 57, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. He compares himself to the prophets of old. And, and certainly Jesus is a prophet responsible to reveal God's word, delivering it to his people. But as we just considered, he's, he's also so much more than a prophet. By this kind of treatment that he's receiving is how they treated the prophets of old. It's what we saw in Jeremiah from our scripture reading earlier. Normally, a person is best received in their hometown. But with the elevated position and responsibilities of a prophet, the reverse is true. I have in mind a, a high school reunion in a town where, where normally everybody stayed around. But there's that, that one guy who, who was so quiet and meek in school, really kept to himself. Frankly, he was, he was a geek. But he ended up going to college across the country and, and never coming back. Well, well, he shows up in a Lamborghini, you know, Armani suit, Rolex on his wrist with a celebrity wife. He's charming and, and suave. It'd be hard to believe, wouldn't it? And it's easy to imagine being offended. What? Does this guy think he's better than us showing up like that? Friends, it's, it's not enough to simply recognize the wisdom and mighty works of Jesus. You could see them 
and, and be astonished and still be offended. Faith is required for us to see this evidence for what it is. I want to point out that at, at this point in the story, most of Jesus' family don't even believe in him. Jesus refers in, in verse 57 to not receive, receiving honor, not just in his hometown, but in his own household, with his own family members. I think that's how we should understand verses like Mark 3.21 that says, And when his family heard it, that is all that Jesus was doing, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. They were calling him a lunatic. The point, brothers and sisters, is that, that faith is not inherited. Even the siblings of Jesus had to experience the miracle of rebirth, which we know some of them do and become leaders in the church. They had to hear Jesus' teaching and receive it with faith. Friends, you're not a Christian simply because you had Christian parents or were raised in a Christian home. Proximity to faith is not the same thing as having faith yourself. The question isn't who your parents were, what your childhood was like. It's do you have faith in Jesus today? Is your life marked by abiding and personal faith in Jesus? A daily reliance on Him, not just for wisdom, but forgiveness from sins and, and grace to grow? Do you frequently come to Him and acknowledge your remaining sins and, and hate them again? Do you have a hope for the future, not because of something you once did, but because of who Jesus is for you today? The mark of a true Christian, put simply, is faith. It is present belief. But the crowds of Nazareth of his hometown reject Jesus for who he is. And in verse 58, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Their offense of verse 57 is rooted in their unbelief of verse 58. Don't get that order reversed. People are not offended by Jesus and therefore don't believe. No, we sinners take offense at Jesus because of our unbelief. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Smoke didn't cause the fire. It was created by it. Offense at Jesus is a symptom of the problem. Unbelief, not the cause of it. It says in verse 58 that as a result of their unbelief, Jesus did no mighty works there. Certainly we know that their unbelief did not limit Jesus' power. Matthew has already told us in his Gospels how many mighty works he has done in cities filled with unbelief. Back in Matthew eleven twenty, No, their unbelief did not limit Jesus' power. Rather, verse 58 is a, a statement about Jesus' mission. Just as, for example, Jesus did not turn the stones to bread when tempted by, by Satan because it would violate his mission, so he did not perform many miracles and turn his mission into a sideshow. Friends, Jesus' mission was not to entertain goats. 
He came to feed sheep. This is the whole point of the parables at the beginning of Matthew 13, the cryptic sayings of the kingdom, right? He wasn't trying to tell riveting stories to draw a crowd. No, he spoke in parables to conceal the kingdom from those who were spiritually deaf, but to reveal it to those who have the secrets of the kingdom. Jesus' mission was not merely to come and, and teach with wisdom the kingdom of God, nor even here to perform mighty works. No, he was made like us so that he might taste death for us. He came to live a life of submission and obedience to his heavenly Father, living the life that we as humans should have. In order to become a sacrifice for our sins, he first needed to become the perfect sacrifice in 33 years of obedience. This Jesus would be honored when he came into Jerusalem, the crowds shouting Hosanna, but their honor was fickle. The same voices rejecting him and calling him, calling for his crucifixion merely days later. But they did not take his life from him. He willingly laid it down. The suffering of the cross was not particularly physical suffering, the suffering of crucifixion. No, it was the wrath of God poured out on his son. Suffering the punishment for your sin. If you too repent of them and turn to Christ in faith. To honor him now is to recognize his wisdom his mighty power, his deity, and respond appropriately with worship, with awe, with complete submission and devotion. To honor Christ truly is to put him and his kingdom first before even ourselves. It is to recognize, brothers and sisters, that we deserve God's wrath. But because of his love, He has drawn near to you to teach you that by faith in Him, you can be saved because He has acted to save you. How will you respond to Jesus Christ? By honoring Him in belief or by rejecting Him in unbelief? Friends, I don't don't particularly want to know who your parents are. Or what your childhood was like. I want to know, do you have faith in Jesus today? That we can today stand amazed at the wisdom of Jesus. That his wisdom is for us. Navigating all the complexities of life. But more than anything, wisdom for salvation. We can see in him that he has come to us from God. And is God. And is therefore deserving our honor and worship in faith. In present and abiding abiding belief. To confess that he is God. And he is Lord. Even while the world rejects him. Let us follow our rejected savior. Into joy. Brothers and sisters, honor Christ by believing that he and his teaching come to us from God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning to honor 
Christ the Savior. To confess this morning that he and his teaching come to us from you. Lord, we we stand amazed at his wisdom. The wisdom of not just a man, but God himself in the flesh. Lord, we pray that his wisdom would be made ours. Lord, that we would come to him for wisdom in all of our lack. That we would daily come to him. Never wise in our own sight. And Father, we pray that we would recognize that his wisdom is from you because he is from God. He is God. We confess, Lord, in our Savior is from you. Lord, we pray that because he is from you, we would give him all that he deserves, our honor and worship in faith. Lord, we pray that this would be true for us today. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.